Good evening, everyone. Good to see you all tonight. Well, there's a bulletin I hope you got when you came in, and I want to just share an announcement that's going to be a little different tonight and a little more extended before we get to the message uh, after that. And this one relates to what's happening at the legislature. And, uh, you know, I imagine we're in different places politically, but I pray that we're in the same place biblically because we need a biblical worldview that is more important than any political party uh, or position. I really am a student of history, and uh, one of the things that I've seen as I've studied history is that down through the ages, when the government becomes extremely powerful, it gets corrupt, and it oppresses people, and there's a lot of injustice that takes place. And... uh, The church, on the other hand, when it becomes powerful, it becomes corrupt. And it also treats people badly and abuses them. Both of these are institutions created by God, the government and the church. And the church is to be subject to governing authorities. Romans 13, for instance, says, but the church has a responsibility also, and we see this. In the book of Acts, for instance, when Peter would speak to governing authorities, the church has responsibility to, they call it, speak truth to power. In other words, to hold the government accountable. And if a church fails to do that, a government just grows in power and then creates all kinds of injustice and oppression of people. There are a couple of bills before the legislature right now that I believe are on the verge of doing just that. And they relate to the sanctity or sacredness of life. Because we live in an era now where people believe we're just a chance product of evolution. No creator, no designer, no God. So we're God. And we can choose to take life, to end life, whenever we want to. But as believers, as biblical believers, we don't believe that. We believe that every life is a gift from God and created by Him. So one of the bills that I mentioned just briefly last Sunday, I wasn't here last Friday night, is a bill that relates to pregnancy resource centers. These are sponsored by churches in the islands, and they're places where those who are pregnant, often young women, come for counsel and to find out what is the development of that baby within them and what, what are some options, including adoption, if they choose not to keep that baby. And uh, this bill, it's, it's, uh, you can see the numbers, Senate Bill 501 SD1. It's uh, called the Bully Bill because this bill, if passed, would force pregnancy resource centers to post directions to where they, uh, these folks can get abortions. That's ridiculous. Uh, They should not have to do that. And even groups like Planned Parenthood, which has no credibility in terms of telling the truth, testified uh, against these pregnancy resource centers. So let me just share with you. Biblically, there's, you know, God declares that he's the giver of life. Let me just share a couple of illustrations that uh, I've come across recently that I think help us to understand this. Scott Klusendorf uh, speaks on this. In fact, he was on Focus on the Family recently, and he gave this example. How many of you remember uh, those um, 
Polaroid cameras. Polaroid, yeah, okay. Some of, you know, some of you wouldn't in the digital age in which we live, but before Polaroids, you would take a camera and you would snap your pictures and uh, you'd get up, if you had a 24 picture roll of film in there, you'd have to wait till you snapped them all. Then you'd take them down to that photo mart on the corner of the supermarket and they'd send them off somewhere and then a month later they'd come back and you'd see they were overexposed. So when the Polaroid camera came out in 1970, that was a new invention. It was an ugly-looking box. But as soon as you snapped the picture, out would come a piece of paper, thick paper, with just gray on it. And so as you'd wait there, maybe 60 seconds or so, it would come into focus, and there was the picture. And you didn't have to wait. Well, let's say that uh, you went to... Um, a safari. In fact, we went on a safari in Africa when we did a trip to Kenya some years ago, and we saw a rare leopard. You don't get to see leopards. They're just, you hardly ever see those things. And so we took pictures of them. But let's just for the moment say we took a Polaroid picture. And uh, I took a picture and uh, pulled it out, and I was waiting, and somebody grabs it out of my hand and rips it up. I said, you, you didn't take a picture of that leopard? I said, yeah, it, it, it was there. It just hadn't developed yet, and, uh, you, you know, it was going to appear. Well, embryonic science has told us that a baby developing in the womb is all there. Everything's there. Every, the, all the DNA, everything that that baby will become is there. You can't see it yet. just hasn't developed. But you'd be angry if somebody tore up your picture of a leopard developing, and yet that's what's happening to babies and our culture is denying or is, is participating in it. There's another fellow, Scott Sledge, who has an acronym that he says can help us to talk to people about this, not even using scripture, because a lot of our unbelieving friends, they're not going to be moved by scripture because they really don't believe the Bible. So we have to talk to them from a reasonable position, using wisdom. So his concept is just, uh, if we can go to the next slide, SLED. And in this, he says, okay, here are the things you can talk to your friends about regarding life that begins in the womb. Size. Um, is life determined on the size of that child? And for instance, a fetus is smaller than a developing child or an adult, but should it have any less rights? Women are generally smaller than men, but should they have less rights? No, I think most people would agree that's true. How about level of development? The fetus in the womb isn't as developed as a toddler. And a toddler isn't as developed as a full-grown woman, let's say a little two-year-old girl. But should she have any less rights or is she any less valuable than that woman? You certainly couldn't do away with that toddler because she has a lesser level of development. Environment. That is where you are. And so uh, where you are shouldn't determine whether you're expendable or not or whether you could be done away with. A baby in the mother's womb should be in the safest place in the world, but not any longer with the laws that we have and those that they're promoting. And yet, when there's a baby in the womb that needs surgery, 
that doctor will actually take that baby out partially, do the surgery, put the baby back in for another 24 weeks. And so that baby continues to develop. And so the eight-inch birth canal shouldn't determine whether that baby is valid or not, whether it travels down that canal or stays within the womb. The, the environment should be safe, whether it's in or out of the womb. And then the last one is degree of dependency. Well, the baby in the womb, the fetus, is absolutely dependent upon the mother, but so is the toddler. And so are each of us at different stages of our lives. That shouldn't determine whether we are expendable or someone should be able to make the decision that we should be uh, taken out of the way. And so um, he makes the argument that uh, if you have a discussion with someone and they ask you, like over Thanksgiving dinner or whatever, a relative, why are you pro-life? Here's a fairly decent um, and reasonable statement to make, and I'll use the term James. James, I'm pro-life because the science of embryology says that from the earliest stages of development, you were a distinct living and whole being. And you know what else, James? There's no essential difference between that embryo you once were and the adult that you are today that would justify killing you back then. Differences of size, level of development, environment, and degree of dependency are not good reasons for saying you could be killed then, but not now. That sounds a little harsh, but that's really truth, folks. Uh, you can find that kind of information focused on the family, and uh, I'd really encourage you to check that out. One more bill, and uh, that is uh, another bill. It's the Physician-Assisted Suicide Bill, SB 1129, SD2. And that is really being promoted. It's been promoted year after year in the legislature, but a coalition of physicians gathered together years ago and said, we want nothing to do with this. Why should we be involved in this, in helping someone commit suicide? And yet it looks like it's gaining momentum. And just a few comments about it, talking points that I think are important. One of the things that physician-assisted suicide does, it opens the door of abuse for the elderly or for the infirm. Once they receive from their doctor a lethal prescription, any abusive caregiver can actually administer that in a food or drink. Or a relative who has an inheritance coming, not out of the question that that could happen. And there's no witness required under this because uh, no one needs to be present at time of death. Another thing is that physician-assisted suicide cheapens life. If it's legal, it's just another form of treatment. In fact, it's the cheapest option, especially in a cost-conscious healthcare environment. In fact, there have been Oregon doctors where it's legal who have... Uh, uh, excuse me, Oregon residents, I'm sorry, who have received letters from the state telling them they would not cover their health coverage anymore, but they would cover the cost of uh, prescription drugs for suicide. In our own state, I was in a pastor's group a while back, and one of the pastors, we were talking about this, you'd know his name if I mentioned it tonight, I don't have his permission, 
but I'm sure he'd tell you. He said, I had cancer four years ago. We all knew this about our brother. And uh, he said, during that time, uh, HMSA called my oncologist and said, you need to move some of these people off of treatment. This is really expensive into hospice. And he said, the oncologist said, well, for instance, who? And he said, well, for instance, this guy. And it was that pastor. And he said, well, this guy's doing really well. He's responding to treatment. They said, but this stuff's really costly. That was HMSA in our own state. So don't think it's not a slippery slope when uh, health insurance companies want to save money. It really puts pressure on families and a burden on the patient who may feel like, well, I maybe just ought to step out of the way to not be a burden to my family. And then one more thing. Bad data puts patients at risk. For instance, uh, Oregon's data that they've collected as they've begun to do in the last few years, physician-assisted suicide, it is so flawed and incomplete. It tells us very little. The state doesn't investigate cases of abuse, and it is admitted this. It says, we cannot determine whether physician-assisted suicide is being practiced outside the framework of the Death with Dignity Act. So this, and the state has acknowledged destroying their annual reports and the data in those every year. Why do they do that? They don't want to answer for what's happening and some of the abuse that's taken place. So some of you probably think, what is he talking about? Why would he even go here? Because I believe God cares about life. And uh, I think that we should. And I'd really encourage you to do a couple of things. Pray first, and then act. I mean, send an email. Make a phone call to uh, your legislator and express opposition to these two bills. Uh, they may go through anyway. But I want us to be able to stand before the Lord and uh, the next generation and say, we took a stand. We did what we thought was right. Um, and the church, as we're a part of, has responsibility to speak God's truth to power. Let's pray. Lord, these are uncomfortable things to even talk about, but they're so much worse when they come to pass. And so I pray that we would have the courage and the presence of mind to stand on your truth and to act for the unborn, for the elderly, the disabled, for the infirm, for those who don't have a voice, that uh, they would be able to be defended. I pray that you'd give us real clarity of heart and mind in this, Lord. In your name, amen.